Welcome to the first ever episode of Always YA, a podcast about young adult literature and other YA media. My name is Jane McMahon, and I'm here with our two other panelists, Susan Timmons. Hi, everyone. I'm a young adult librarian. I've been doing that for about 16 years, and I love YA literature. And Kate Pritchard. Hello. I've also been a young adult librarian since uh, 2006, I believe, off and on. Also love young adult literature and, uh, and anything else I can read, really. Thank you, Susan and Kate. Now, in this first episode, we are going to start building a YA Hall of Fame by sharing some of our all-time favorite YA books. But before we get into that, we're going to share what we've been consuming lately in terms of YA-centric media, just what we've been enjoying lately. And we're going to start with Kate. So Kate, is there something in particular you've been into this summer? Yes, um, I have been uh, listening to the audiobook of All My Rage by um, Saba Tahir, and it's uh, fabulous. It's a realistic fiction story following two um, teenagers in um, contemporary um, California, and then also uh, you get a little bit of backstory of the, um, the mother of one of the characters, and um, it's dramatic, it's really beautifully written. Um, I just have really fallen in love with these characters. So that's been great. And then I also um, have enjoyed reading Thick as Thieves by Megan Whalen Turner. The, uh, I think it's the fifth book in her Queen's Thief series, which I've been reading for a number of years. And um, they're so good, I just fall into that world and really um, have really loved diving back in. So that's oh. what I've been reading. Okay, great. Um, two things I'll admit, neither of those had been on my radar. So thanks, Kate. And Susan, um, what YA have you been into this summer? I have been binging Stranger Things with my kids. We love it so much. I can't even tell you. And I grew up in the 80s. So what I love about binging it with my kids is I get all the references and then I excitedly explain to them probably in more detail than they need. Um, about you know the Cold War and the Soviet Union and the Terminator references and the never-ending story and the arcades and the malls and all the sort of 80s references that they pack in that series. Um, it's also very Scooby-Doo, you know, the kids are solving a mystery and they make a plan and nothing ever goes right and the adults are not very helpful. <laughs> uh, so it's been a lot of fun um, and season four was fantastic and it's also gotten me in a kick of other 80s set things. So the novels by Grady Hendrix, um, those horror novels are set in the 80s. And there is a new uh, series going to come out on Amazon Prime based on Brian Vaughn's uh, comic series, Paper Girls. <gasps> and that's about four, I think, 12-year-old girls and their newspaper delivery route. And then they, of course, uncover mystery. Uh, I don't know if the uh, kids in the TV show will be uh, 12 years old. Probably <laughs> not. But um, I'm looking forward to continuing my Stranger Things mood and doing another 80s title next. Okay, I myself haven't caught up with the latest um, with the latest out from Stranger Things, but your enthusiasm, I think, is going to <laughs> nudge me back in that direction. And also, always love to hear a shout out for Grady Hendrix. This is going to be probably a very Grady Hendrix positive <laughs> podcast series over the long run, so look out for that. 
As for me, this summer, uh, I've actually been revisiting a book called Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss. This is a nonfiction read I return to really kind of in preparation for this series. So this is an amazing nonfiction book about trends in YA lit over the years, but really it's focusing more on the 80s and 90s. So it doesn't go back to the you know very earliest origins of YA, and it cuts off pre-Harry Potter, pre-Twilight, pre-Hunger Games. So it's a lot more you know Christopher Pike, Sweet Valley High, that kind of thing. And um, fun fact, when I first moved to Nashville about three years ago, this book, Paperback Crush, was the first book I ever purchased at our local bookseller, Parnassus Books. (laughs) So I uh, think of both of those things fondly. (laughs) And even though the author, Gabrielle Moss, has some really insightful and interesting commentary about the books themselves, I would love this book if it was only a collection of the covers from (laughs) this era. You know, I see a publishing logo like Bantam Starfire and Mm -hmm. everything just comes rushing back. I am transported. (laughs) It's just also really interesting. There were some books I read in my youth that I knew my peers were also reading, but then there were also, you know, books that as far as I knew, I was the only one I knew who ever read them and then they were lost to history. And so to see some of those resurface in this kind of survey of YA lit, to be like, oh, I was not the only one (laughs) who read that or someone else knew about that book um, and it still exists maybe. So that's been fascinating and really fun and just so much ceremonial grade nostalgia that uh, I was really glad to go back to that. Anyway, so if you're the kind of person who would be listening to a podcast about um, <laughs> YA media, Paperback Crush is probably also for you. Now, we are going to start building our YA Hall of Fame, but we thought this might be a good time just to discuss a little bit about what young adult as a category means to all of us. The three of us here, we're all lifelong readers, but we're also professional educators and librarians. And so we've all had a chance to see YA evolve over many years. So there, it's kind of a perennial question though of you know what makes something YA as opposed to just regular fiction. There's a, an award for YA books that's called the Prince Award, but there's also an award called the Alex that's kind of like, these are books that aren't maybe 100%, we aren't completely certain they're YA, but they have a certain crossover YA appeal. So we're just gonna talk a little bit about what YA means to us and how we define it. So Susan, what do you think about YA as a category? I think it's first of all important to use that word category and to be crystal clear, it's not a genre. Hmm. So YA includes all the genres, it includes fantasy, science fiction, romance, historical, mystery, etc. The category just speaks to essentially the market. But for me, the 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 most important characteristic is the age of the protagonist. And so I'm leaning a little bit on some writing done by Karen Jensen for her website, Teen Librarian's Toolbox, through School Library Journal. She did this wonderful infographic researching the history of YA. She uh, dates the beginning back to 1967 with The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. Um, Some people might push that date back to Catcher in the Rye, something like that, but that it is a story told about a a teenager, teenagers ages 12 to 18 roughly, 
And the thing to really keep in mind about that is it doesn't mean that every book with a teen protagonist is YA. It is not. And so you'll sometimes get, you know, adults looking back, talking about their coming of age story very much though through an adult lens of their regrets or their observations of their childhood. And that is uh, in a different category. I think the German word is Bildungsroman, coming of age story. And so titles like Great Expectations by uh, Charles Dickens or more recently Black Swan Green by David Mitchell. The protagonist might be 13, 16. Um, the story might be about their youth, but it's, it's told nostalgically looking back from the perspective of an adult. Whereas in YA, it's very important that this perspective is they are on the ground, they are a young adult, they are in the mix of all of the emotions and the uncertainty and everything that comes with being a young adult, all of, all of the passion. So that's an important characteristic. Okay, so lots to chew on there about defining YA as a category. Kate, what do you kind of ponder when you're pondering YA? That is a good question. So I um, tend to think of YA really as, first and foremost, a marketing category. I have read you know, interviews with numerous authors you know, where someone might ask them, what audience do you have in mind when you write your books? And they will say, I don't think of myself as writing for teenagers. You know, that's something that the publisher has decided. Um, you know, when I submit the book, then the publisher might say, we really feel that this is a YA title. But I do wonder if that's changing lately with just the massive popularity of YA, you know, the explosion of titles in the genre and in the readership. You know, I really think it looks like the number of adults who read YA just keeps going up and up. So I, yeah, I wonder if people now, if it's more common for authors to have a YA audience in mind when they write um, books, because there, I think there is, for the most part, a certain style. You know, there are certain sort of stylistic characteristics that we could point to um, in a YA novel. And I think, you know, Jane, you might talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, maybe a certain didacticism, if that's the right word, <laughs> you know, um, trying to sort of impart a certain lesson, that there's some sort of moral to be told or to be gained um, through this story. So anyway, that's, that's some of what I think of when I think about um, what sets young adult apart. Interestingly, I do think that the category, you know, a lot of the books that we see coming out for YA these days, they tend to really be aged up a bit. The protagonists are older, the situations they're encountering are older than you know books published for young adults, say 20 years ago. Um, and I, I think that's fine. I think those books are great. You know, I buy them for my library, but I do really see a gap in. Um, there's not a lot of books being published anymore that I really think of as being not just appropriate for, but really sort of aimed at, say, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, you know, kids who maybe aren't interested in reading about these more sort of adult, uh, mature situations, but they still really want a good story written with protagonists that are the same age as them. Yes, it's interesting that you bring up that marketing angle because about, I don't know, was it about five years ago when we started really hearing about new adults? And people were saying, oh, it's now there's YA, but there's also going to be new adults. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that kind of became the fetch of the publishing world, <laughs> like it just never really caught on, or maybe one day it will really take hold. 
I, it seemed like they were going to try and start a new category of books about and aim towards maybe more the college age or recent recent college graduates, mm-hmm. which I can understand there might be a need for something kind of in between YA, kind of 16, 17, 18, and, you know, the middle-aged divorcee type of fiction exactly. that seems to flood the market <laughs> constantly. <laughs> Also, uh, I totally understand what you're saying about that, how things are being aged up. And uh, there was something in SLJ, School Library Journal, that, Susan, maybe you sent this our way, where a librarian who was the mother of a maybe a 13-year-old saying, there's mm. not a lot directed at 13-year-olds. And if you're working especially with middle schoolers, there seems to be less and less in between um, intermediate middle grade fiction mm-hmm. and YA that's directed more at high schoolers. So yeah. what's going on out there? But we still need books for all ages <laughs> and all audiences. <laughs> for me personally, as I was thinking about what YA means to me, really for me to enjoy a YA book, and I think this was true when I was a a young teen and it's probably still true today that it had for me it has to be readable it has to move it can't be too dense I hate to say I don't have to think too hard but that's kind of like I don't have to think too hard I think it's a common adage in fiction writing to say show don't tell but when Mm. I'm reading YA I really just want to be told I love a first person narrator who's just telling me what he, she, or they is thinking. Uh, I don't want long, lengthy descriptions. I just want to know what people are thinking, what they're feeling, what's happening to them. And there truly are some YA authors out there who write beautiful prose, beautiful lyrical prose. But I guess for me, it's not a deal breaker in (laughs) YA if that can't be part of the package. I am fine with the book just kind of telling... um, a very direct story. That's what works for me. And I always think, you know, if a student is sitting in class and has 10 minutes left after finishing a geometry test, is this Mm. something they could pull out and read instead of just putting the head down on the desk for the remainder of Mm -hmm. the period? That's the kind of mindset I try to imagine being (laughs) in when I'm assessing whether something uh, falls into the category of YA. Now that we've talked a little bit about um, how we each think about YA as a category, we are going to start building our Always YA Hall of Fame. And today, each of us is going to present two selections. So we decided we would each pick one YA title that has been around for a while and one relatively recent title. And we didn't get too particular with our time barriers on this. Mm -hmm. Um, So we might each have a slightly different (laughs) definition of what (laughs) relatively recent means. But we're each going to make two picks today. We're each going to share our throwback title, and then we're each going to share our recent title. Um, So Kate, would you please share your first Hall of Fame pick with us? Yeah, so my throwback title is a book that was um, published first in 1993, and I remember reading this as a teenager um, in the 90s. It was first published in Australia by an Australian author, um, and I think came to the U.S., I want to say, like, 95. 
So the book is called Tomorrow When the War Began by John Marsden. It's the first in, I was sort of surprised to see as I researched it earlier today, a seven book series. I remember reading the first three and then I may have sort of aged out of uh, reading YA by the time the later ones were coming out. So Tomorrow When the War Began, it is about um, a group of... um, at least in the first book, it uh, starts out with seven teenagers. I recently, I just got the ebook over the weekend to reread in preparation for this discussion, and holy cow, it's so fun. I just got sucked back in. I'm halfway through already. So it's about seven teenagers. At the beginning of the book, they are going out into the bush, basically, the Australian outback. It's their um, Christmas holidays, and remember, that is summertime um, in Australia, Um, They go off into the bush for several days, totally cut off from civilization. They have, you know, hiked like quite a long ways into this sort of impenetrable area of bushland. And they come back out after several days to find their families have disappeared. Everyone is gone. They have heard a couple nights earlier, they heard um, jets flying very low um, over where they were uh, camped out and they didn't know what it was at the time. Well, it turns out um, a foreign army, and it's not specified who, a foreign army has invaded Australia. And so now, you know, first, the first part of the book is just sort of them figuring out what is even going on, where are our families, you know, they try to make their way to each of their houses to figure out what's going on. But it's a very, it's a very fast moving plot for one thing, you know, there's a lot of action, suspense, They are trying to figure out, like, where are people being held? And then they end up being chased by soldiers. And it's just very, you know, there's a lot of, like, are they going to make it? Uh, Sort of heart in your throat um, kind of moments. So I just, I remember loving this as a kid and rereading it as an adult. I think, oh, yeah, this book still has it. This is still just a really fun um, action, great plot, but really good characters as well. They're not, you don't get extensive backstories on anyone, at least so far. But they're really well drawn, you know, Um, sketched out fairly quickly, but you really have a good sense of who each of these um, characters is. So I'm I'm just loving it. I'm glad to be rereading it. I actually discovered this series uh, as an adult and loved it so much. I think I read all of them. (laughs) I love survival stories. They are outgunned and outmanned on the run. (laughs) How are these kids not only going to survive, but they actually strike back against the foreign army? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so amazing. (laughs) Um, Australia did create a movie version, which I think was one of the highest grossing Australian films ever. And then later, uh, a little TV adaptation which oh are gosh. fine but <laughs> you know the book has so much more detail or mm-hmm. the books have so much more detail about the characters oh I, I have to second your recommendation <laughs> and very YA because I think that it's written as a diary by yes. the protagonist mm-hmm. so you yeah. get all of the angst totally uh, yeah <laughs> drama <laughs> Gosh, I feel like unfrozen caveman lawyer. I'm the only one who hasn't <laughs> heard of this series. So, Kate, can you just tell us one more time before we move on the title and author? Yes, the title is Tomorrow When the War Began, and the author is John Marsden. Okay. If you liked the movie Red Dawn, that oh. 1980s movie, it's like an Australian Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> All right. Well, Susan, let's hear about your throwback pick. You know, I had to think for a while, again, how old does a title have to be to be considered a throwback? And I went ahead and selected Laurie Hulse Anderson's novel Speak. 
It was published in 1999, so that does now make it over 20 years old. I think that can give it classic status. And it was it was so impactful, so well written. Uh, she just does a great job with realistic fiction anyway, but um, this particular novel is a story of a ninth grader who starts the year ostracized by all of her former friends because there was some mysterious incident that happened during summer break and now she is deeply traumatized and we don't know why. Um, this novel was based on the author's experience of being sexually assaulted. Um, so she has a lot of knowledge and um, about all of these emotions. But the reason I really love this novel is the voice. She is bitter, she's angry, she's sarcastic, she doesn't trust any adults in her life and for good reason. And I loved that bite. Um, it felt very teen, it felt very real. Um, and of course the novel's title being Speak gives you a bit of a sense of how she does eventually face uh, what happened and try to overcome it. And it's about her finding her voice thanks to a kind art teacher who helps bring her out of her shell. So I would put this as required reading for every human because it's fantastic. I remember when I read Speak, maybe back in, maybe I didn't get to it until like 2001, something like that. I remember being astonished at feeling how it captured the atmosphere of my high school, the, the halls mm. of the high school, all of that. And I'm not sure I can think of anything since then that has equaled it in that aspect of it. Mm. So uh, I, I had kind of considered using it as a pick today, though I think <laughs> I didn't really get as far as whether I would have considered it a throwback or a recent. Man, it's hard to believe it's already been yeah. 20 years. Yeah, indisputable Hall of Famer for me and my throwback pick. So I was kind of wondering about like, oh, I don't want to pick something too obvious that maybe someone else picked or anything like that. But then I also had a, a bit of hesitation about picking something unless I was really going to revisit it. And so over the past week, I went back and I reread The Pig Man by Paul mm -hmm. Zendel. Mm -hmm. I cannot pinpoint when I, what age I was when I read this myself, but then I revisited it some years later because it was part of the seventh grade curriculum at a school where I taught. And this was one of the favorites uh, of seventh graders, even in the you know, mid-2000s. Um, at the end of the year when we'd say, okay, of all the books we read in seventh grade, what was your favorite? And The Pig Man would rise to the top, which is surprising to me because when I actually went back last week to verify what year was The Pig Man, if I'd had to guess, I probably would have guessed 1978. I knew it was it had been written before my own adolescence, but really it's 1968. And, wow. and now in going back and reading it, knowing it was written in 1968, there were some parts of that that seemed more obvious. But mm -hmm. I also felt a bit kind of foolish that I hadn't picked up on that, either reading it myself or even in teaching it. I didn't teach it as like a novel of the 60s <laughs> or something like that, though. I think you could definitely do that. To borrow some language from another podcast, The Rewatchables, when they revisit themes, they talk about what's age the worst <laughs> as one of their <laughs> categories. 
And so I was also a little bit afraid to revisit this and see if there was anything kind of cringeworthy or just really uncomfortable. There is no profanity. They actually make a big point of the fact that mm. because this is narrated by two teenagers that they use kind of, um, that they use, you know, dollar signs and things like that mm. in, in place of profanity. There are a couple uses of the R word, which uh, I would have mm. preferred not to see. But other than that, maybe not anything that would have made me too uncomfortable today. And I was trying not to judge it by the strictest of, you know, 2022 standards. Mm -hmm. But, you know, earlier I was saying, tell, don't show me. And that's exactly what this book is. So I'm a sucker for a first person angsty narrator. <laughs> and I'm even more a sucker for books with alternating narrators. Mm. So this book is narrated by two high school students, John and Lorraine, who are mostly platonic friends. And they befriend a lonely widower named Angelo Pignotti that they come to refer to warmly as <laughs> the pig man. And, you know, there's there's not much else to it. It's really just about how these two teens are unhappy in different ways with their home lives, with their parents, not really finding a lot of inspiration at school or elsewhere. And they just really love the warmth and kind of, you know, what it seems like unconditional affection and friendship from this older man. Um, and unfortunately, things take a poor turn. But that's really what the book is about. It's incredibly short. It might even be under 100, it's maybe 150 pages. So still, still a pretty good pick. So that's why my first Hall of Fame entry is The Pig Man by Paul Zendel. Nice. So we're going to be moving on to our more recent Hall of Fame picks. And this time, Susan is going to go first. So Susan, uh, what's your recent pick? Well, I don't know if 2012 is recent, <laughs> but when I was a teen, I loved uh, fantasy novels. I devoured the Dragon Riders of Pern <laughs> and the Dragonlance Chronicles and all of those uh, fantasy books. So I still, as an adult, love to check out what the new YA fantasy books are. I know City of Bones was really popular there mm -hmm. for a while. One series that I think doesn't get enough love, uh, and I, I adore it, is by Lainey Taylor, and it's called The Daughter of Smoke and Bone. It's a trilogy. came out in 2012. She's a wonderful author. She was a National Book Award finalist. She writes such gorgeous phrases that this is one of those books that I will read a sentence and it is so beautiful I will have to stop mm. and I will have to reread the sentence again because it's just stunning and as we were saying earlier you don't always get that quality in young adult books and so it's nice to find something that is so just well written and engrossing and gorgeous but also fantasy which speaks to my heart and um, it's dramatic and romantic and incredibly unique. And there are monsters and demons and angels and the war to end the world and genocide and, and love. Um, so it's an amazing trilogy. And so I think more people should read it. OK. Kate, next to you uh, for your recent Hall of Fame pick. All right. So. I would assume anyone who's listening to a podcast about young adult literature is already familiar with this book, but absolutely the first book that came to my mind, I thought this has to be my pick for recent Hall of Fame, is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. 
this was a book that um, really was made possible, is my understanding, by um, the We Need Diverse Books movement, um, which became a nonprofit and has, and I think it's an annual award that they give to a sort of emerging writer to help them finish a book. And um, if I'm think I'm correct in saying that Angie Thomas was um, the first recipient of this award and that allowed her to finish this novel. So shout out to We Need Diverse Books, first of all, which is a fantastic movement um, and has really just done so much over the last few years to um, expand and improve the field of young adult literature. So The Hate You Give is about 16-year-old Star Carter. She is um, black. She lives in public housing um, in an unnamed city, but I think we're meant to assume it is Jackson, Mississippi, or some, somewhere very similar to that, which is where um, Angie Thomas lives. And Star has been going to a private school, you know, majority white um, private school. So that is already like a difficult, you know, transition for her going from her um, low income neighborhood to this very um, elite um, uh, private school. So she's already kind of navigating two different worlds. And then um, what really sets the plot in motion is that one night she is um, driving around, I think maybe they're going back from a party um, with her friend, a boy named Khalil. They are pulled over by the police the policeman thinks or says he thinks that Khalil um, had a gun and shoots him and kills him. Star was in the car. She knows Khalil was unarmed. Um, she knows that this is um, a very clear case of you know, a police killing that should never have happened, totally unprovoked. Um, and so it's really her journey of finding her voice and, and sharing the truth. You know, She faces, of course, a lot of, um, she faces hatred. She faces a lot of pushback from people, you know, um, sort of outside, um, you know, not wanting to hear the truth that she has to tell, but it's, of course, very important for her to, um, to speak up and to make the truth known. So, so I, what I remember about this book, you know, when I um, first read it, you know, I picked it up because I thought this is going to be an important book, right? And there are those books that you read and you think this is going to be important. If it's not maybe a great book, that's okay. You know, it's still a book that we should all read. I was just so blown away by the writing in this book and by the characterization, um, the way that you know these worlds that Star navigates were really um, delineated so wonderfully. Um, but it was really the characters that I kept going back to. You know, if you write a book with great characters, um, that really is like you've sold me ninety percent of the way already. You know, that's really what I look for um, in a book. And I, so I just thought all of the characters in this book were really uh, wonderfully drawn, very distinctive, really interesting people. Um, and I just think it's a fantastic book. So that is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And I remember maybe shortly before The Hate You Give was released, someone, I think on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, who must have read an advanced copy, said, look out, like this book <laughs> is coming and it's going to be a monster. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was living in Washington, D.C., and Angie Thomas was coming to do a book tour appearance at Busboys and Poets there. You know, I had already had a long day at school. It was some hazardous weather out. I wasn't sure if I really felt like traversing into public, but I did make it there to go see her. She was delightful. I was so excited to read her book, which turned out to be as, as amazing as we had all heard. And also, when I got home from that book event, I got a notice that the next day was going to be a snow day at school. So everything <laughs> about this made it one of the most magical nights of my life. <laughs> 
yes, but the hate you give is probably as, as close to you know just an instant classic as as mm-hmm. we've seen in, in the last handful of years. So for me, um, my recent pick is from 2016, and uh, my other pick, The Pigman, was a very low concept book. This one for me, um, almost the opposite, very high concept. So it is Scythe by Neil Schusterman. Actually, I have to admit, I almost chickened out and picked something else just because I thought, oh dear, it's going to take me forever to try and recap what this book is about. (laughs) It's the first book in in a trilogy, so there is quite a lot of world building that goes on. But so Scythe is a science fiction book uh, set in the future where pretty much disease and death have been almost eradicated by medical technology. But for reasons both practical and philosophical, a small percentage of the population is killed each year, or as they call it, gleaning is the euphemism they employ. (laughs) And the people who do the gleaning are called scythes. And the scythes are an elite group of people who decide which people will be gleaned and the manner in which they will be gleaned. And maybe most importantly, they do the gleanings themselves. They don't just pick people and then someone else, you know, does the wet work. <laughs> so as you can guess, um, in most YA books, so there are uh, two young teens who are picked as candidates for the scythedom, but they have to go through an intense training process. There's lots more I could try and establish about like, oh, in the future, there's also kind of like a Skynet-esque, you know, artificial intelligence that runs things that's called the Thunderhead. I'll just go on forever if I try and account for every way that this world is established. It's just a, a really great science fiction that makes you think about things like, you know, we've all thought about well, if everyone goes to college, like who will the maintenance staff be? And then mm-hmm. things like that. I think it's a great, a great YA book that offers you a lot to think about. It follows two teen characters, but you also get to read the journal reflections of the adult sides. I think a really great perennial topic in YA lit can be how do we deal with power, whether mm. it's power on a large scale, on a small scale, whether it's, you know, in your friendship group or, um, you know, on a global scale. And it's a lot about how, um, well, who should the sides be then, you know, and uh, ironically, the people who make the best sides are maybe the people who are least inclined to want that job. And also, it's just a great science fiction read. Okay, so I think we've established a great foundation for our always YA Hall of Fame. And if anyone listening out there wants to share a book you would pick for the hall, you can email us at alwaysyapod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at alwaysyapod. And please subscribe to our feed so you won't miss our next episode. Uh, Our next episode, the topic will be back to school and we will be discussing campus novels. But before we wrap up, we're each going to sign off with something we're looking forward to in the world of YA. Kate, what are you looking forward to next? I think my next YA book is going to be Queen of the Tiles by Hannah Alkoff. It's a um, murder mystery um, set in the world of Scrabble competitions in Malaysia. 
I don't know a whole lot more about it than that, but I am really excited to read it just sort of based on that uh, description alone. And Susan, what are you looking forward to next in the world of YA? Well, I, I am looking forward to Kate's review of Queen of the Tiles, <laughs> number one. That sounds amazing. Um, I just checked out from the public library something called Flip the Script by Lila Lee. Um, something important to know about me is I'm a huge Korean drama fan. And so this is a YA romance about a Korean American who gets cast in a role, flies to Seoul, uh, starts filming a, a K-drama, and the sort of marketing department wants to it to make it look like she has a love line with her handsome male actor co-star but she falls for her the leading actress and they mm. have to kind of decide what to do about their romance um so i am looking forward to that it has an adorable pink cover <laughs> so it looks very cute I really loved, I don't know how many books she has out, but a book she put out a year or two ago called I'll Be the One um, was so fun. So I hope that this is similarly very enjoyable. Okay. And as for me, a little bit earlier in the summer, I had one of my oldest, bestest friends visit with her daughter. And her daughter uh, exhibited a great deal of enthusiasm for the Netflix series Heartstopper. (gasps) Yeah, but (laughs) we're getting some excitement now from Kate. Heartstopper. And I have not watched the series because I decided I wanted to finally get into the graphic novels first. And this also kind of coincided fortuitously with the opening of another bookseller in our greater Nashville community. There is a new shop over in East Nashville called Novelette. I went over to make my first visit there on opening day, and I bought the first two volumes of Heartstopper. So um, (laughs) Heartstopper, if you don't know what I'm talking about, is a graphic novel series, now also a Netflix series. And it is uh, about, uh, it's set at an all-boys school in the UK. One of the boys is gay, one is straight. They form a friendship that could turn into something more. That's kind of what the first two volumes are about. And so now I'm looking forward to volumes three and four. I haven't picked those up yet, but the artwork is just completely sweet. You want to fall into it. I, I have seen clips of the Netflix series, and I know they incorporate a little bit of that kind of artistic vision into it. It's a, a live shot series. It's not an animated series, but there are some animated graphics in it. So I'm looking forward to reading the next couple volumes of the graphic novel series, Heartstopper. Yay. So thanks for listening to our first ever episode of Always YA. Signing off for Susan Timmons and Kate Pritchard. I'm Jane McMahon. Thank you and goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>